one of the biggest things that I under anticipated was what the transition would be like going from entrepreneur or small business owner to a CEO and having to build a real team and have professional managers on board and take on capital. That was, that's a hard transition. And not everybody could or would want to make that transition. Some people are really good at just being a little an entrepreneur in a smaller business and getting it started. And, and maybe somebody else comes in to be the CEO. That, but that doesn't always have to happen. You can do it. You just gotta you gotta be able to scale with it. But I didn't. I think I anticipated how hard that would be and how how that would stretch the crap out of me. Welcome back to Walk Like Beggars. I'm John. I'm Steven. Guys. Awesome episode this week. We have the co-founder and CEO of Kodiak Cakes, Joel Clark. If you guys haven't been around, you haven't had a good waffle in your life, well, that's about to change now, right now, guys. These things are delicious. Kodiak Cakes is a family business. It was actually a Shark Tank reject. So if you're ever scanning through the Netflix episodes, go find the episode where they get out of the shark tank without getting a deal. But now it's bringing in over $100 million in revenue a year with the best-selling pancake mix at Target and Costco and other stores Pretty nationwide. Pretty much anywhere. Yeah. Um, Joel comes from a cool, just humble beginnings and honestly one of our favorite interviews. I can't pick favorites, but yeah, definitely top three. Yeah. Amazing interview. So Yeah. So get ready. Get your pancake mix, maybe grab some syrup, because this is one sweet interview. That sounds good. So I'm Joel Clark. I'm the CEO and one of the co-founders here at Kodiak Cakes. And our journey really started when I was eight years old. So my mom um, always wanted to sell her homemade pancake recipe as a mix. And, and she was way into whole grains and healthy eating when, when we were growing up. And she was really kind of ahead of her time back in the 80s. I mean, we were having green smoothies and I mean, it was like green drink every morning, you know. And, wow. and, uh, and then she would make her own bread, whole wheat bread. And, um, you know, she'd grow her own sprouts. And it was crazy. You know, a lot of my friends were like, dude, you guys are crazy, man. Yeah. What are you guys doing, you know? And, um, but now, you know, we look, looking back, it's like we really appreciate the way she brought us up and she was, she was way into it. Anyway, one of the things that we loved was her, we loved her pancakes. And so she'd make these whole wheat pancakes for us and they were totally from scratch. She'd grind her wheat and everything and, and she'd flip, whip up the egg whites and fold them into the batter and they were awesome. So when I was eight, she made these little homemade lunch sacks um, full of pancake ingredients and she hand wrote on these bags like how to make it. And then I went around the neighborhood and sold these out of my red wagon. Yeah. And so that's like awesome. the early, you know, that's like the How early. How old were you at this time? I think it was eight. I was eight years old. That's amazing. That's so great. So that's like the roots of Kodiak cakes, you know. Yeah. And then uh, we didn't keep doing it. We didn't keep going with it at that point. But then it was years later, um, probably like 12 years later, my older brother, John, he was 28 at the time. And he, he wanted to start a business. He was, you know, he, he was really wanted to be an entrepreneur. He was talking to my mom one day and she's like, well, why don't you do something with the pancake recipe? Make a product and go sell it. And so he loved the idea, so he actually went and, and did that, created the first product. He took her recipe and he modified it into add water only version of the, of, the pro, of the mix, of the recipe. And then he created the brand Kodiak Cakes and our first product and asked me to go out and help him start selling it. And so we started in like Park City, you know, we started in ski towns like Park City, Jackson, Wyoming, and Sun Valley. Where were you living at the time? Uh, down in Salt Lake. Okay. Yep. So we were we were living down in Salt Lake, and John was running this out of his little his basement. He was living in a little duplex and in a little unfinished basement. Set up a little makeshift office and got some little company to produce, you know, a couple pallets of the first production run of Kodiak cakes. How did you guys find that um, that first like? Yeah. Hey, will you guys make us you know a little batch of? Uh, pancake mm-hmm. mix like how did that come about well I think so John had a John knew a guy he was a, a, a he knew a guy that that owned a pie business and and what was kind of a revolutionary thought for John was this guy said to John he's like look you don't have to make your pancake mix you can find somebody else to do it for you and at the time that was like oh okay because I think you know you go into a food product you kind of you, your immediate thought is how do I make this stuff right and so this guy's like John you don't have to make it you can find somebody to make it so John started kind of researching and looking around and he found a little small company down in Salt Lake that could blend it up and pack it up for him cool. and so once he found that I was like okay I don't have to worry about that part 
but I can, you know, I can do the formula and send them the ingredients and the packaging and they'll do it for me. And so that's the way we've run Kodiak Cakes ever since we've never manufactured our, our product ourselves. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's actually been good because it allowed us to really focus on sales and marketing and not be so worried about the manufacturing side, which, which could bog you down. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So John's 28. How old are you yeah. when this gets going? So I was 20, 20. Okay. I was 20. And then John was starting this. Uh, I was on a, I was on a, an LDS mission at the time. John was starting this. I get home from my mission. And then that's when John was ready to go out and start selling this stuff. So that's when he came to me and he's like, hey, do you want to help me start selling this stuff? You and I were just in. I was like, I'm in, man. Selling stuff for two years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> totally. Yep. So I was like, heck yeah, man, I'd love to help. So and I didn't, you know, I had a couple months before I was going to go back to school. So I really just kind of helped him for a couple months, and and then he, then after after that, he took over, and he, we, you know, we'd probably generated like 50 little gift shops for our customers, and then I went back to school, and John just ran this at night on the side for the next couple of years. Just servicing these little gift shops, and, and we just had one product at the time. So he was, you know, at night he'd go and pack up these cases of product and UPS them out to all these shops. So and yeah, and these shops were like in the ski towns that you were talking yeah. about. Yeah, yep, all these ski towns. Yeah, really. So why ski towns? We went to ski towns because that's where we felt like there'd be a little bit more disposable income. You know, people on vacation they're buying stuff, right? And and we knew that this was going to be a more expensive product. You know, it was it was healthy. It was whole grain. It had really good ingredients in it, and and it was definitely going to cost more than your basic you know pancake mix at the grocery store. And so, and, and John was right. It worked. So people would go into these little gift shops. We got it into these gift shops, and. It was, and people started coming in, these people on vacation, and they'd they'd find it, and they'd be like, man, this is awesome. And we started getting letters from people writing us and saying, hey, found your pancake mix in Park City. This is the best pancake mix I've ever tried. Where can I get it? You know? So people started to write, and this was really like right when the internet was kind of starting up. So a lot of it was still handwritten letters coming in. And, uh, and so, but that, that was motivating. Those letters were awesome because it was like, man, this is a good product. You know, we got to keep going with this thing. <clears throat> so what happened was a couple years later, John came to me one day and he's like, hey, Joel, I want to go back to school. I want to get my, I want to go to graduate school. He's like, I'm done with this thing. I can't keep doing this on the side. He's like, so if, if you want to take it over, it's all yours. Otherwise, I'm shutting it down. You know, it was just, it was little, it wasn't, you know, it was going to take forever to go somewhere. We didn't have any money to put into it. And it was tough. It was really tough. And so I'm like, yeah, I want to do it. And I was still going to, I was going to the U. Okay. So you're in school still. Yep. I was in college. And I'm like, and I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. So I took it over, got a little office in my parents' basement. Then I started running this little pancake company. It was doing about $29,000 in total revenue when I took over. So I, uh, you know, I spent the next, so for me, it was a side gig for a long time. In fact, about seven years, I ran this thing on the side until I could really start going full-time. What does that mean on the side? Like, just nights, weekends? That's exactly right, yeah. So I had a day job. So after I finished school, I worked for um, a small kind of boutique management consulting firm downtown Salt Lake. And I was just like an analyst there, building spreadsheets, doing data, you know, spray, you know crunching numbers and stuff. And, and yeah, I'd go home, and then at night I'd go work on pancake mix. You know, I'd start try, trying to get sales, and I'd, I'd try to get hold of grocery stores and sometimes I do this during lunch you know and during the day if I need to make calls yeah but it was hard because I really did have to do that for about seven years wow and so it was really I think you know my test at that time was excuse me just sticking it out you know can I can I hang with this until I can get it to go full time and and it was you know I almost quit a lot of times you know I, I really did and almost shut this thing down a lot of times but I just, you know, I think a couple things kept me going. One, one was those letters. I was telling you about how people would write us letters, and they'd say, hey, guys, this pancake mix is awesome. Oh, and by the way, I love how it's whole wheat. It's whole grain. It's healthy. You know, so they loved that it was good. Oh, and by the way, that it was healthy. And if it's the other way around, you know, if it doesn't taste that good, but it's really healthy, you just don't get that many people that care, right? It's got to taste good. Um, so that really kept me motivated, and I kept thinking, I've got to keep going with this thing, you know, so... Anyway, it was hard, but I kind of, you know, little by little, things would happen. And I, you know. Yeah. You mentioned you had some, there were some times you almost quit. quit. Yeah. Can you kind of go into those a little bit and what happened and how <coughs> yeah. you got through it? So what, what was hard was, I think something that people underestimate a lot when, when they think about being an entrepreneur is how long it's going to take and, and how hard it's going to be, right? And I think the other thing that you kind of under-anticipate is, 
you, I look around at all my friends at the time and they're all progressing in their careers, right? They're making progress, you know, they're getting raises, they're getting promotions and they're making real progress. And, and I, I looked at myself and I'm like, man, what am I doing? You know, and, and, and so I was barely getting by on my job because it was really hard to focus on that and try to do this pancake thing on the side. And I never really actually did it full time. I worked like 30 hours a week at this consulting firm. And it's sort of like a foot in, a foot out. And it was, and I just wasn't diving into that with two feet. And I wasn't diving into Kodiak cakes with two feet. So it was, it was, it was tough. And, and I remember thinking, man, I, I either need to quit Kodiak cakes so I can dive in with two feet and make real, real career progress there. Or I've got to quit that at some point and dive into Kodiak cakes so I can make progress there. And so, you know, I'd go home at night and, Sometimes I'd be like fed up because I didn't have any, I didn't have enough money. I wasn't making enough money or I didn't have enough money to put into Kodiak cakes to try to get it to grow. And it was hard to, there wasn't a lot of venture capital flowing into little food brands at the time. There's a lot more now. I probably could have raised money in today's world, but back in those days, there just wasn't a lot of capital. And so, you know, what I did is I, I set myself these like six month goals and I'd say, all right, these are the things I have to get done in the next six months. If I can't get them done, I'm quitting. If I, it, and, and, but if I do, then maybe I'll hang in a little longer. And so that's exactly what I would do. And so I, you know, I, and, and I, little by little, I'd see these things happen. And then I'd go, well, okay, I have to give it another six months. What were some of those six-month goals right out of the gate? So a lot of those things were like sales goals. So like if I could get into, you know, X and more grocery stores, then that would, you know, that could give me a little bit more revenue to kind of keep rolling. Yeah. You know, that, that, the, it, I think a lot of them really kind of were sales types of goals at the time. Because that was really what where what it was about. I only had one SKU, one product for quite a while, and then later it became okay. Can I get this other product out? And so um, little by little, those little by little, those things would happen. Or it'd be like I need a bank loan. I need I need some sort of fi- financing, something to to help me. And you know, and I, I you know I did a lot of stuff on the side. You just had to kind of get scrappy. I bought and sold a lot of cars. You know, ever since you know I started. I still do that today. It's become a really fun hobby. But I mean, in college, I started buying and selling cars. And so that became like needed extra income. I flipped a couple homes on the side. I mean, just whatever I could do to get by. Yeah. You know. So at this point, um, you're running it by yourself. Yeah. There's no employees, no one else, Mm -hmm. just you. And the way you get sales is by talking to these gift shops or grocery stores and trying to get it on the shelf. That's right. Yeah. You know, like. There's no storefront. There's no online presence. That's right. Wow. Yeah. So it was just me for, so when I, I took the company over in the, at the end of 1997, so December of 97. <clears throat> so for the next, you know, seven years, it was just me. And, and I did even take off and go back to graduate school. So I took off and I left and I hired this guy and he, this guy named Dave Olson. We're still really good friends. And he lived in the University Village at the U. And I paid him just like an hourly rate. It's pretty cheap to run this thing while I was gone. I'm like, Dave, just keep it alive. I don't care if you, you know, don't, you don't have to grow it or anything. Just keep this thing alive. So I was able to go squeak out a graduate degree, which is just something that I wanted to do. So then I came back and I still couldn't live on it. And so I hired my, and Dave needed to go get a full-time job. So I hired my brother-in-law. He was in college. So he ran it for another year and a half while I went back to this consulting firm that I had work, been working for. And, you know, just doing Kodiak at nights on the side while my brother-in-law was kind of there during the day, kind of doing bookkeeping and stuff like that. So finally what happened is, you know, I had been working on kind of sales and I had been talking to Safeway. And in 2004, Safeway decided to bring Kodiak Cakes on to 1,200 stores. They had 1,200 stores and they said, all right, we're going to bring it in. And I'm like, oh, awesome. You know, so I finally kind of landed this big fish. Yeah. And, but it was only one product, but I I felt like, I I think I can live on that. So I quit my job in 2004 to do Kodiak Cakes full-time. And at that time, my dad was 65, <clears throat> and he had retired. And so he said, hey, I'll, how about if I help you? And I'm like, yeah, come help me. So he helped me for really nothing, you know, basically for free. But he had a ton of energy, and he was really you know, fun to work with and helped me for the next four years. He, the two of us just went and started you know hammering on sales trying to get more distribution started to create a few more products were and, you going in store and doing samples and all yeah that? we would Just yeah i used to do a lot in. of those yeah. i used to do a lot of samples yeah i did a lot of those so my dad and i worked for about four years so we we built it when we, he and i started in 2004 our revenue was one hundred fifty thousand dollars total revenue and so i was you know barely paying myself anything and then we built it up to like about eight hundred thousand in revenue in the four years 
And so we really, you know, we started to get some real, finally some good progress, but still in a food company, it's pretty hard to make a living on 800,000 yeah. bucks, you know, in revenue. You really just, you need to grow beyond that to actually start to make, make a living. But little by little, we, we you know, chipped away. And, and so my dad retired finally in 2009 and I hired Cameron Smith, who's our COO now and has become a co-founder. And so Cameron joined me in 2009, right out of college and really just brought a ton of new life and energy. And he's just one of these young guys that just totally believed in himself and believed in what we were doing. And he kind of had, you know, even he describes it this way, but blinders on, you know, he didn't, he couldn't see the obstacles and didn't want to see the obstacles. And so he became like, you know, I couldn't hire, I didn't have the, the money to hire somebody with a ton of experience. I just, I needed somebody that, that I could afford but that I hoped could really become a co-founder to me and help me, you know, partner with me and help me run the business. And, and that's exactly what he did. And so, you know, the two of us have just been, you know, running this business together since that time. How did you find time. him? So I put an ad up at the University of Utah Career Services <laughs> website. Wow. I didn't know anybody. You know, I didn't, I didn't have anybody in mind that I could yeah. hire. That could so come. how many people applied and then how did you pick him? So I think, I, I don't know, I probably had three or four people maximum apply. It wasn't like I had a bunch of people. I mean, it was like this little teeny business. And yeah. and I had, I, I think I only interviewed like one other guy. And and Cameron responded. And we had this piece of crap office downtown. We were downtown Salt Lake actually at the time. And we had this junky old office in this old building. No windows. It was two rooms. The camera comes in and, and we meet and I'm like, man, I like this guy. He's a really sharp guy. You know, he, he could be great. And, I, and he later, you know, he, he later told me, he's like, man, I walked out of there. I'm like, um, should I do this? <laughs> you know, I was like, we didn't have a lot, you know, it was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty lean little teeny business. But he, you know, he was kind of like, yeah, I could probably do this for a year or two to get a little experience and go do something else. And, and then, you know, he came and we really started to, we kept growing. I mean, we, we really did. We started to get some great momentum and then. In 2014, Cameron got us on Shark Tank, which was awesome, and so that just became a huge just momentum booster for us. And yeah. we had um, launched our protein pancake mix right about that same time, and so those two things really became kind of an inflection point for the brand. That's cool. So I want to take you back. Yeah, you're working at this consulting firm, and then you take that dive. I'm gonna go full yeah. time Kodiak Cakes. Mm-hmm. Was there fear involved at all? Oh man, I was scared to death. So yeah, how really did you scared. get through that? Um, so what I did is I, uh, I, I just you know my wife and I we talked about it. And we're like let's you know my wife the, the good thing is my wife was very supportive. Like she just she wasn't really scared. I mean maybe deep down but she never showed it and she was just like yeah you can do it. I, you know, I think you can make it happen. So that was a key because I think you know if, had she been even more fearful and been like no I don't think you should do it I never would have done it. You know I just wouldn't. Have. When it worked, but she was just totally supportive, so that helped. But I remember really kind of thinking, well, I think I have enough to live on, and and I think it's just I was so passionate about Kodiak Kicks, I wanted to do it so bad. I had already spent seven years doing it, and so I was like, okay, I'm just going to take the plunge and do it, and um, and so I did. I think you just kind of have to get to that point where you're like, I'm just going to do it. And the thing is, I didn't really talk about this. I had done this one other time, so. So a year after I took this thing over for my brother, I, I did quit my job from the same consulting firm. And I ran it, I ran Kodiak Cakes for one year full-time before I went back to graduate school. And, you know, our, our income needs were so little at the time. And, and I just, I thought I could bear, I think I paid myself 27000 bucks that year. You know, and I, I bought and sold a few cars to kind of make some extra money. And, and just, you kind of learn to live really cheaply. And I think that's another thing that I think people under anticipate a little bit is I think as an entrepreneur, you're, you really, it, it's, you know, you have to learn to be tight and not live on a lot because no one's, you're usually going to have to make under what you could get paid, at least for a while. And so you just kind of have to learn to do that for a while. Like, I mean, so there are some exceptions to that if you get some great funding right up front and you can, you know, make enough, there are those exceptions. But at that time, and at the stage of Kodiak Cakes, that, that was just all I had. That was the only option for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I took took that plunge and just went for it. And the thing is, I did I did sort of have for me, I did feel like I could go back to that consulting firm if I really had to. Yeah. So I had a little bit of a safety net there. I mean, I felt like, well, I could go back to work. You know, but what was interesting too, though, is that, so in 2004, when I did kind of make that plunge, um, so I was about 30 at, at the time. And so my, that's like your prime career building years, right? Late you know, 20s, early 30s. It's like, 
And I remember being fearful about that. And not only just the cash part, but that part. Because if I needed to go back to work, and all of a sudden I find myself in my high 30s, and I haven't really done enough in the career world to, to be that valuable, that was what I was, that was fearful for me. Like, I was scared about that. And, um, but so I, I don't think I really, you know, anticipated what that was going to be like. But I, you know, I, but I also feel like that's the nature of the game for being an entrepreneur. And I do feel like people nowadays in the business world value that a little bit more. I think they do value like, hey, you were willing to take a risk and you quit your job and you put it all on the line to go try something. That's awesome, man. And so like there's a, there are, so you, you may be fearful about that, but I, I don't think I probably needed to worry as much as I did. I think I could have gotten a job if I really, you know, if I needed to. Mm-hmm. I could have gone back to work. Yeah. Um, so you went back to graduate school. Was that yeah. for an MBA? Yeah, I went to an MBA. Yeah. Was, so, I've, I mean, we've talked to a lot of different entrepreneurs. Some yeah. are like, ah, get, don't mm-hmm. need that. And mm-hmm. other people are like, yeah, it was, it was good. I, I'm just curious, like, yeah. what, what was your experience with the MBA? Was it valuable to you? Is that something you would suggest, like, someone in, like, our shoes? Yeah, to go yeah that's a great question. I think for me, I wanted to, I really wanted to do it. I felt like for me it would be, a, a, it would help me with the backup plan. Because I knew, I mean, I knew, in, in, even during my undergrad, I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. I knew I wanted to do that. And so at that time, I started to think about, all right, well, what would be my backup plan if it doesn't work? You know, and I, I felt like MBA school for me would have been part of that. Now, um... I don't know. I, people ask me that question a lot, and and, and I think um, I think I think if you have if it if it if the debt load to go and do it is so onerous that it kind of ruins your chance of becoming an entrepreneur, then I'm not sure that you should. And when I look about when I look at like okay, the skill set that I learned from that, I'm not sure that that was what was valuable for me. I don't. So in other words, I don't know that you need the MBA. I don't think you need the MBA for the skills that you get. To be an entrepreneur, I don't think you need that. Yeah, for me, it was really the experience that I gained and the confidence that I gained. So that's experience in what? Well, the experience, just just the the exposure that I got. So I did my MBA in England at Oxford, and I think you could gain. You know, it doesn't matter. I think anywhere you go, you're going to get exposure. Just the, the the professors, the people you're there with, you know, the network you gain. Um, so I think that all that stuff is all really, really valuable. And I think it's a confidence boost too. I felt like I needed it. I needed the confidence booster because I think, you know, it's kind of like no one else, there's not a lot that anybody else has above an MBA in the business world. But is it needed? No, I don't think it's needed. I think it's really, it, I think at the end of the day, it comes back to, are you confident enough without that? That's a big, that's a big, that's a big one. And if you yeah. are, and you feel like you, 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 you feel like you can, and you have the confidence in yourself that you can go out and do it and you don't care about that, then I wouldn't do it. I mean, like, a great example is Cameron, my COO. He, he got out of school at the U, came, started working here. And he had, in the back of his mind, he, he kind of wanted to go back and get an MBA. And as we kept going and building, and, and I, you know, I really needed him. And you know, I needed him to be my partner and a co-founder with me. And, um, as, and as it started to work, you know, I remember having this conversation with Cameron. I'm like, look. Uh, you're probably not going to be going to get your MBA if this thing keeps taking off and you want to hang around. And he's like, I get it. All right, I'm, I'm good with that, you know. So he's never going to, he'll probably never do it. He doesn't need to do it unless he just wanted to later for, for the heck of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. but he's got the confidence. He doesn't need it. He, he's got plenty of confidence. He believes in himself and in his abilities and he, he studies, he reads books, he's learning about um, you know, from other people, other entrepreneurs. So he, he has that. And I think that's what an MBA does. It just, it just keeps opening up your mind to new thought and ideas. And so you can get it elsewhere. I just yeah. think you need to be like, even what you guys are doing with this podcast, it's awesome. You're learning, you're trying to understand from people who, who, you know, who have gone down the road. And so uh, I think for me, it's really just, if that's something that you deep down just want to do for yourself, then I'd go get it. If you're, if you feel like I need it for a backup plan, then maybe there's some merit there. But if you're like, but it, you know, if you don't care about those things that much, then I don't know that it's, that it's necessary. Yeah. What did you major in? Just My undergrad? Yeah. Undergrad. So undergrad was economics. Okay. That's another reason too, to be honest, because I, I always planned to do an MBA and that's one of the reasons I chose economics was because it was a bit more of a general degree. And if, you know, then, then going to MBA school, you get some of those, you know, more technical business classes. But Especially for somebody who's getting a business degree, like, like I, you know, then you're already getting some of those things. You're getting marketing, you're getting accounting and finance, and 
and those things are valuable. But I didn't get those in my undergrad, so I think you know I think there is some value there. Yeah, um, I loved how you kind of talked about Cameron and how you needed him. So yeah. can you talk to us about your partnership and like mm-hmm. wh- why did you need him? Like what things yeah. does he compliment you or what's that relationship yeah. like? Mm-hmm. And I guess like what should people look for in a partner from your perspective? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think so when it was just me, so there were, you know, like I said before, there were about seven years where I was, you know, kind of doing this on the side and it was just me. And, and that was that was really, really hard. And I kept thinking to myself, man, I just need, I need a partner. I need somebody to work with. I need a peer. You know, and then when my dad worked with me for those four years, he became that, right? And not everybody would be able to, to do that or work with their dad. Like, but he and I worked great together. You know, we really did. And, 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 but he became my partner and my, like, support. And he really was supporting me. You know, it wasn't like I was working for him. And he, he said, he'd always say a joke with me, like, Joel, you're the president. I'm just working for you. you know? But he was really aggressive and a great sales guy, even at his age. I mean, he was incredible. But so he he brought energy to me. And so what I learned about myself was I needed somebody to work with because I needed to feed off of their energy too. I loved the idea of being an entrepreneur. I loved that. I loved the idea of kind of like picking a path that's less followed and going down that or taking a risk. I had no issues with those types of things. I was excited to do those types of things. But what I but then what I learned too was the road of being an entrepreneur was hard. It's really hard because you are blazing trail, and you, and and, it, and that gets tiring. You know, there's a term I've heard, entrepreneur fatigue. It it gets fatiguing. You you get tired, and so I needed somebody to to do it with me. I needed a partner, and so you know when my dad was getting ready to retire, I, I really I I knew that I need to get somebody who can come in and and sort of be a support with me, and I needed somebody and. Who, who, somebody who could compliment my skills. And I think the other thing that happened to me, I, I remember early on, I was pretty aggressive. And, you know, I, I was willing, I was the type of guy that I, I, I thought I would, I'm the one, I'd be willing to take a risk, for example, you know. But over time, I, I got, became more conservative because it, because I started to, I dealt with so much uncertainty with finances or career progression for so long, you kind of start to protect and you want to be super careful. And so Cameron came in, and he didn't have all those years. He didn't have that. He was coming in with new eyes. And so for him, it was, let's go. All right, let's roll. Let's move. Let's get this thing going. And, and so he brought kind of this new energy. And so we have, you know, he's been, a, I, I feed off of his energy. And so and it makes me better. It makes me become my best, too. So I think that's why I needed him. Yeah, I, I, that resonates with me a lot because I just feel like in my life, like, Anytime I've tried to do anything, whether mm-hmm. it's in business or just personal or anything, like having someone that's mm-hmm. like, yeah, let's roll. Like yeah. you just, yeah, you build off each yeah, other. Yeah, you do. You do. And it's got to be a good fit. And I think one, the other, the other thing I think that um, I'll just say is that I think, you, you know, there are different ways that people go into partnerships. And obviously you hear about some that don't work and some that do. But I think um, the way that he and I went about it worked out great because, you know, I had already been doing this. It was kind of like... Um, you know, he, he wasn't coming in as an equal partner. So that really, that actually has worked out. But then over time, he was able to, you know, take on more and more responsibility and earn equity in the company. And so it's a good situation for him because he didn't have to go to all the risk to start the company. But he's added so much value that he was able to earn equity. And he needed to have equity. I needed to give him equity so that he could fill ownership in this thing and give everything he has. And so now, you know, in fact, we later gave everybody in our company some equity because we wanted everybody to fill some ownership in this thing and, and to, to be able to share in the upside that they're creating. And so that can be behavioral changing if it's done in the right way and if it's the right context. Not every context works for that, but, but ours did, and it's been a really good thing. On that note, can you tell us a couple of things you've done with your company as far as the culture mm-hmm. that has been that you've seen as beneficial yeah, yeah. for the employees, and maybe some things that didn't work yeah. as well? Sure. Yeah. So I'll tell you a couple of things. So, you know, you guys asked about like, um, you know, like what are things that maybe I, I went through that um, maybe I didn't, you know, I didn't, I, maybe I didn't realize that how hard it would be or this or that or you know as you guys are learning and it's so it's like for people that are wanting to become entrepreneurs it's like thing I always think about 
man, what did I not know that I wish I would have known type of thing. And I think building culture is one of those things. Like I didn't realize how important that would be. I think we just sort of took it for granted. We, we had, we worked with people that were like-minded, you know, we just, that just sort of happened naturally for a while. But then we began to realize we need to write our culture down and we need to actually manage it. And so we've done, th- we, we, and, and be deliberate about it. Otherwise it just kind of can manage itself into something you may not really want down the road. And so we began to set up a culture that uh, made sense for us. And, and now we manage it. It's now part of everybody's bonus to live our coach culture. It's called the Kodiak Code. And it has principles in there, you know, like empowerment, um, collaboration, um, uh, you know, getting outside is a part of it. It's a part of our culture is getting outside, work hard, play hard mentality. Um, uh, we, we talk a lot about clawing through you know, like showing grit and bringing solutions and not just saying, hey, I ran into a wall. What do I do? No, it's like, hey, I ran into a wall, but here's like three ideas I thought of to get around it. What do you think? You know, so we, we really care a ton about people's progress, their development. We want to empower people and believe in them and give them long leashes to go out and make things happen. And so, you know, we, we, we brainstorm a lot. We're very transparent with, with our company about what we're doing and why and what our goals are and Super, super transparent. That's really motivating. You know, the more you know about something, the more buy-in you 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 have and you feel. Um, we we talk a lot about being great to work with. That's a really big one. We 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 talk about that both internally and externally. We want to be the best. We want we want the, we want companies that work with us to go. I love working with those guys from Kodiak. They're the best. Like they're just great to work with. They're nice people. They follow up. They get things done. Um, so, so and, and internally too, because we want we want people going home happy. We want people to be good to work with. Yet, you have to be you have to be candid with each other. It doesn't mean you can't have hard conversations. You have to have hard conversations, and give each other feedback. Like that's something that we didn't do for a long time. We were just afraid. You know, we didn't really give each other the really hard, solid feedback that we each need. Yeah. And that has become a big part of our culture. And so even Cameron and I will give each other feedback, and we'll say, Hey, you know, how, how am I doing? And, and we'll ask for it from the team. Like, I'll bring people in and say, hey, how am I doing? How, how, what's the feedback? How do you like working here? You know, and you want the bad. You want to hear it so you can manage through it and, and repair it if you can. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I think something that I'm just super curious about, mm-hmm. and I'm sure a lot of people are, is walk us through the behind the story of Shark Tank. Because you guys yep. did not get a deal. Mm-hmm. And and I, I just remember I used to be an avid <laughs> fan of that show and I remember seeing you guys on there I was like oh you talk company and like I just remember my dad and I like you know high five because we were just like this is cool you know we're excited because we always (laughs) love watching that show and talking about it so I want to know like the behind the story of Shark Tank Mm -hmm. what what was that experience like yeah um was it helpful for you guys? Yeah, I mean, you, you talked about how it was kind of like a big major point for you guys validation Mm -hmm. and then like you didn't get a deal but it was interesting as we were coming up here, I was just kind of like looking at articles about you guys. Mm-hmm. And Inc. has an article about Kodiak cakes. Like, we didn't get a deal, but that saved us from going bankrupt. So I'm curious to know that story as well. Yeah, so just sure. walk us through this. Yep. So what happened was it was about 2012, and we had gotten two products into Target nation, nationwide. And, um, and that was a big win, right? We got these two products in, two pancake mixes. But we're not selling, you know, we're selling okay, but we're not like, but we, you know, Cameron and I were talking about this. We're like, we need a boost. We got to get these sales going, but we don't have any real money to put into marketing. So what's a PR stunt? What can we do to like, just get some exposure, you know? And so one day Cameron comes to me, he's like, hey, I think I'm going to try to get us on Shark Tank. I'm like, all right, yeah, go for it, man. I've never even seen the show, you know? I'd seen like bits and pieces. I'd never seen it. I knew what it was, you know? I never sat down and watched it. And I'm like, go to town. So he emails the show. Just out of the blue email. We didn't respond to a casting call or anything. He just sends an email in. Two months later, he gets a call, and they're like, hey, uh, we love your story. We want, we want to put you guys on the show. It's like, all right, great. you know. So they send this contract, and, and the contract was pretty scary, actually. And, and we almost didn't even do it. What, like, what made it so scary? I'm just curious. So they said, all right, we can fictionalize the footage. So we can, we can reverse the order. We can portray you guys in a really bad light. We can do anything we want with this footage. So we, t- Cameron and I talked about, we're like, crap, do we even want to do this? Like, we could look like total fools, you know, if, we're, if they want us to be. Yeah. And so um, but it, finally we're like, well, who cares? We need the publicity. So <laughs> any publicity is good publicity, yeah. right? Yeah. So we, we had that attitude. So we're like, all right, let's go for it. So we go on, we go on the show. 
and <clears throat> it was actually really scary. Like they do kind of a you know they do like do one mock kind of mock run just in front of the producers, but not in front of the sharks. So you kind of have a bit of time to prepare your yeah, at least your pitch. You're like one minute opening pitch, but that's it. The rest of it's just impromptu, right? So the, you're walking down the hall, and it's actually they they kind of build that up, and they actually want you to be kind of scared because <laughs> they love that, right? They like that for good TV. So you walk in, and then once you're out on the on the stage. You have to stand there for a whole minute just in complete silence. And obviously they don't show that. They cut that out. But they do that, I think. They do that. They say they do that because they're trying to get facial expressions that they could use later mm. or whatever. Oh they gosh. say, that, well, and they also, and, 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 and they say that they're, okay, actually, no. I think they say that they're trying to get the, everything set up. Like the lighting. The sound set, everything, the lighting, all that. But really, it's to get that's facial. What, yes, that's what we had heard. That's right. Yeah. That's what we had heard from one of, one of my friends who... Um, was in PR and, and helped us kind of prepare for this a little bit. So he's like, don't give them anything, you know, just give them a little half smile and don't give them any weird expressions or anything that they could use against you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know? So we sat there, then we did our pitch and then we went, th- you know, went through the whole time. I think we were on there for probably a half hour or so. They cut that down to like 10 minutes or whatever it is. And they made us an offer and we got an offer from Kevin and from Robert and they just lowballed like crazy. They just lowballed the crap out of us. So we were like, Nah. And it was funny, like, I had this immediate, like, uh, just relief come over me when the offer came in. I'm like, okay, this is easy. We, we the, you know, this is like a no-brainer. We need to get out of here and hope yeah. we can get the publicity, you know? Yeah. And so we did. We basically said no thanks and walked off, right? Um, and then, fortunately, they still aired our episode. And so it really did become the, the best of both worlds for us because we didn't do a deal with those guys, and which would have been bad for us because it was not a good deal. Mm-hmm. And we, we still got the publicity out of the deal. So what happened was right after the show aired, our website crashed. Even though we had just <laughs> moved our whole website over to a dedicated server. So we thought we had plenty of bandwidth on it. But we didn't. It still crashed it. And then um, people went to Target. Mostly Target because they mentioned you could get it at Target. So people went to Target and just cleared it out. And, and we were we struggled for weeks, probably six, eight weeks, just to keep up with demand and it's try to keep problem. it in the product. Yeah, yep, try to keep product on the shelf. So it, it was a good problem. It was really hard, but it turned out to be just a just a great thing for us. And so then that that kind of spiked our momentum. Then then we launched into our protein pancake mix, which is power cakes, and that went on the shelves at Target like two months after the show aired, and that just resonated. That that became that became explosive growth for us. And so then, you know, since then, and so it was a combination of getting some, some great publicity, but then also having the right product that really, the timing of that product was amazing. Yeah. So really the publicity was a great little spike, but it, you know, if you don't have the right product or whatever, then, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to make your company, mm-hmm. but it just helped us a lot. Interesting. So talking about power cakes, is that your number one selling product? Yeah, it is. Yep. So let's talk about like product formulations and stuff mm-hmm. like how do you guys create new products? Is it just like, hey, we're gonna sit down, have this meeting, everyone, we got we got snacks, we got drinks, by the time this meeting's done, we're gonna have five new products we're gonna go to store with. Yeah. Is that kind of how it works? Or like, yeah. what's your guys' process? In some ways, yeah. I think what we have done is we've, we have had brainstorms like that. So we'll we'll get together and we'll brainstorm, like, all right, what are, what are a bunch of new products that we could come up with? And we'll write down, we've done this like several times, we'll write down every crazy idea that we could go into, right? Back in back and, and that's today because today we're looking at more and more categories, totally. right? Where else can we take Kodiak cakes? Yeah. Back then, when we we weren't in a lot of categories, it was a little more focused on pancake mix. Like, how do we innovate pancake mix? And so, it, a lot of times it was just and we and another thing that we do, just adding to that, is we go and walk stores a lot. We go and walk grocery stores, and we're looking at the shelves, we're looking at innovation and what's new. And then, um, but back in 2012 or 11, 11 or 12. No, it was actually probably more like 2010. You know, protein was kind of starting to get talked about more and more. And I started adding protein to my pancakes. So I'd make Kodiak cakes. I'd add a scoop of protein powder. One day I came to work. I'm like, hey, Cameron, do you ever add, do you ever add protein to your pancakes? And he's like, no, I haven't really done that. And I'm like, you should try it. You know, it's really good. And, and you get more protein. And it's and you stay fuller longer and all this stuff. And, and so we just kind of kept talking about that for a while. and started watching protein trends. And at first we thought, you know, that could be good, but it's probably too niche. That's probably a good GNC product, but maybe not a you know grocery store product. And so we sat on the fence for that on that with that for a while. 
And then in 2012, we went ahead and trademarked the name Power Cakes. But we didn't even launch it. We weren't ready to launch. We thought, let's just get the name, you know, just in case we want to do something with it. And then 2014, we finally launched. But, um, but yeah, today we have meetings. We, we sit around. We, we have, like, a list. We kind of have this ongoing list of all the products we could do. Mm-hmm. And we're always talking about that list and reprioritizing it. And then one, what we do is once, you know, it's usually just, and a lot of it really is just gut feel. And we do some consumer research yeah, now. Yeah, I was about to say, do you guys do outside research? We do now. Yeah, okay. we'll kind of gut check some of our ideas. Like when we went into frozen waffles, mm-hmm. we did we did quite a big study on that. Do you guys do like primary, secondary research? We did both. both. Yeah, we did, we did quite a bit of both. We did like surveys and focus groups and cool. a lot of that, a lot of hands-on stuff. Just to see, you know, would people eat a high-protein, whole-grain frozen waffle? And the research was great. Yeah, I mean the yeah. research came out awesome, and it was like really promising, and and you know, but 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 just like you know, off the, you know, it seemed you know just gut feel looking at that category seemed like man, there's a wide open opportunity for us. So the way we identify categories is just gut feel. It's like oh, that seems like a good idea. It's the way any entrepreneur thinks, right? It's like oh, that sounds like a good idea. I think we could do that. And so we're thinking about it. We're talking about it. We get ex- we're getting excited about it. And you know what? Like I remember in my. Um, in, in one of my, my strategy class um, when, I was at, when I was in graduate school, I remember this. I failed the final exam, actually, because I argued that passion was like a real reason. that It was a real factor bef- that you should consider before going into a business. And I remember this professor. He's, he's, he was telling me in class, he's like, or telling all this class, like, no, you don't go with what you're excited about. That's a stoop. That's, that's, not, that's not objective at all. That's just managerial hubris, he called it. And I remember I'm like, oh, come on, man. Maybe that works in big business. But when you're in small business and you're an entrepreneur, if you're not super passionate about it, you're dead in the water. You're dead. And so I, um, I argued that and I failed the final exam. And then, you know, I had to go retake. You could retake it. So I, re- I retook it and I told the professor, you know, what he wanted to hear. I'm like, yeah, passion is not, you know, a real consideration if you're choosing to go into a business. And so I passed the final exam. I told him what he wanted to hear. But, I, you know, I didn't believe a word of it. And even today, it's like, it really matters. Like, what we're passionate about as a group actually matters. Because then, that, that to me, that's the only thing that's going to get you over those or through those obstacles. Because those obstacles are against you. And when you're an entrepreneur, man, those obstacles are piled up against you. And you're, like, climbing mountains every day, you know. And if you're not super passionate about that, then you won't keep going. And so, you know, we talk about passion, and it can sound a little bit cliche, but it has a purpose. And, and, you know, the real purpose behind the passion is to get you to act irrationally, right? Rational decisions, if, if we all acted rationally, we wouldn't have a lot of entrepreneurs, right? Because a lot of people will say, you guys are so stupid. That's the dumbest idea in the world. Why are you doing that? That does not make any rational sense to go put your house up on the line for this, you know, or that, which is what we do, you know? But so we act irrationally, and, and ha- what fuels that? It's passion. You know, so it's it's really important. So as far as the, the progression of Kodiak Cakes, yeah. I mean, it seems like at the beginning you're trying to get into lots of stores, and then you successfully do that. You know, yeah. And then you kind of hit a ceiling with ah, you're in every single store that you want all over the country. Mm-hmm. And so, what are the like, what are some of your guys's you know future goals? Is it just kind of sideways growth with new mm-hmm. products and new? Yeah. Or are you trying to go internationally? Or I mean, I guess you yeah. probably already are. Yeah, it's a great question. So really, now it is more like sideways. It's more there's still a lot of runway even just in our current categories like pancake mix, for example. So if you look at like we're we're like the number three or four brand out there normally now, and um, or and sometimes even number two and number one depending on the store. A lot of stores, we are the number one brand. But the biggest pancake brand out there is still Aunt Jemima. They're still quite a bit bigger than we are. So there's still, if you think about that, there's still a lot of runway for us to take a healthier whole grain product and become number one. So there's a lot of room there. But outside of that, it is new categories for us. It's like, where else can we take you know protein and whole grains and, and go after in different categories? So like frozen waffles was an example of that. We did that a year and a half ago, and that's a big, big category. So that there's a lot of work in that, that category for us. And then baking, we're doing more and more baking mixes now, like with you know whole grains and high protein and and we're doing oatmeal now. Yeah, we're doing some oatmeal and then there's you know, we're looking at more and more categories. So I think when once you establish a like a platform, then you know, where else can you take it? And I think that's something that people need to consider is like really how scalable is the business that you want to create? You know, can can is it scalable or is it gonna remain small? And that's what I like about what we're doing is it's a fairly scalable business, you know. So, yeah, it's fun. That's cool. 
Well, we're going to start peppering you with some shotgun okay. questions now. Okay. So my first one I've been dying to ask is uh, waffles or pancakes? Mm. Oh, man. Man, you know what? I, I know I answered this before for somebody, and now I don't remember what I said, but I'm going to choose pancakes. <laughs> uh, I'm choosing pancakes. Why so? I think, I don't know. I, li- I love, I think, okay, there's probably a couple things. Pancakes <laughs> are easier to make, I think. Uh-huh. Like, they're quicker. They cook fast. Yeah. But, um, and you can pound, like, a whole bunch of them, you know? Like, I don't know. I I uh, I like pancakes. I, I feel like I don't know. I feel like I I top them with different things. You can sp- I don't know. I'm <laughs> rambling, but I'm gonna go pancakes. Yeah. Okay, pancakes, French toast. Ooh, I, I'd go pancakes over French toast. To me, French toast is like a you know that's a once that's a once a month thing yeah, for me. You can't eat that every day. Yeah, I'd go. I'm a, I'd, I'd go pancakes. Do you do uh, pancakes every morning, once a week, twice a week? Yeah, we're probably still a couple times a week at my house. Like that's honestly, cool. we used to be almost every day for a lot of years. And you'd think, dude, aren't you like sick of pancakes by now? And we just never got sick of them. Yeah. I mean, we still eat them all the time. We had them yesterday morning. I mean, we eat them awesome. all the time. Like. A lot of pancakes in my house. That's okay. awesome. Okay. Um, winter or summer? No, oh, I'd go summer. Yeah. I mean, I, I love to ski. You know, we're up in Park City. I mean, I do. I ski a lot, but I'm still a summer guy. I like I like hiking and biking and fishing. And so I, I'll, t- I'll still take summer over winter. Yeah. Okay. If you could interview one person for a podcast like this and just kind of pepper them with questions, who would it be? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, one person. Man, you hit me hard on that. Um, <laughs> I okay. Uh, I'd go Donald Trump. I mean, like everyone's gonna say that, right? But I'd have to because he's just an interesting, weird, unique guy, and he just make, he says so many things. You're like, why'd you say that? Like, what's going on in your mind? I love it. You know I what I mean? It, yeah. yeah. Like, what? What are you thinking? Yeah, so <laughs> so that would be that would be really yeah. that would be really interesting. That's cool. Um, what is the last personal gift you've given someone? Oh, uh, let's see. Oh, I gave somebody a Kodiak Cakes hat on Saturday night. <laughs> Does that count? That counts. That counts. I didn't have to buy it, though, because it was given to me for free from, you know, from Kodiak Cakes. Yeah. <laughs> I still gave it to somebody, though. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. And it was new. I hadn't worn it yet. Oh, well, so that's, better. That's a gift. Yeah. Okay, we'll go with that. Okay. Um, is there, like, a current TV show that you're watching or in the middle of? And if not, do you have a favorite TV show that you like a lot? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, well... We, we're, we're on and off on this, but my wife and I, we, wa- we watch The Office. Yeah, nice. we do. We watch The Office. Yeah. Favorite character? Uh, yeah, I'd go, I'd go Dwight. Yeah, that. Nice yeah. that's I'd awesome. go Dwight. Okay, my last one is, um, what is what purchase that's been $50 or less that you've made that has made the most impact in your life? Ooh, wow, these are, this is a good question. Um... 50 bucks or less. Big impact. Um, hmm. Well, wow. Oh, well. Hmm. I'm trying to think of like a favorite thing. Uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'd say, I'm just picking something out of the air here, but I have a hat that I got from High West Distillery in Park City that I just love. Yeah. Uh, has, it, has it made a big impact in my life? I don't know. Maybe it's protecting me from skin cancer. But I like the hat. <laughs> it's a good hat. You know, you pick something you like. You don't really need a lot of stuff. You know, you just have a few things you like. That hat's one of them. We'll go with that. Perfect. Um, do you have a favorite restaurant to eat out at? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd say probably one of my one of my favorite places is called the Back 40 Grill up in Heber. And it used to be an old bar called The Other End. Yeah. And it's a it's right on Highway 40. It's, a, it's an awesome restaurant. I love that place. Cool. That'd be one of my favorites. What do you get there? Uh, the ribeye steak is killer. Nice. Yeah, it's 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 really good. Good to know. Okay, so we like to call this it's our final thoughts, mm-hmm. and it's just one question that we both have. Uh, <clears throat> we'll each ask one that yeah. I've kind of been thinking about. Okay. And so as you've been going through, I, like I've learned a ton from you, just like listening to your experience mm-hmm. and the advice you've given. Um, but if you were to sit down and have a, like a hard conversation with like your children or yeah. even us and just be like, these are the skills you should be trying to learn now yeah. to be a successful entrepreneur. What things would it be? Would it be like, go learn about accounting or go learn mm-hmm. about marketing or go learn about strategy? Mm-hmm. Like what, what skill sets do you think 
like someone in our shoes yeah. should be really trying to de- develop. Okay, that's I love the question. So I'd say early on, accounting and marketing would be the two functions I think would be would be so helpful. Like so I had one there was I told you I had an economics degree, but I did take one business elective which was an accounting 101 class. And that was the most relevant class that I took during my whole undergrad because when I quit, when I was doing Kodiak cakes, that that class helped me so much just because I understood basic accounting because I was the one doing all the bookkeeping. So that was super, super helpful. And then I would say marketing, some sort of marketing class, just grassroots. You don't need anything fancy. It's just simple grassroots. You can you can figure that out without, but learn something. Learn about marketing. And in these days, social media, obviously, right? You can promote on social media. But and then I would say as you as you as you grow up and your company your company actually works, then I think the thing, the biggest thing uh, another really I'd say one of the biggest things that I under anticipated was what the transition would be like going from entrepreneur or small business owner to a CEO and having to build a real team and have professional managers on board and take on capital that was that's a hard transition and not everybody could or would want to make that transition some people are really good at just being a little an entrepreneur in a smaller business and getting it started and and maybe somebody else comes in to be the CEO that but that doesn't always have to happen you can do it you just got to you got to be able to scale with it but i didn't i think i enter anticipated how hard that would be and how how that would stretch the crap out of me so that has been really hard but incredibly fun like it's i look i think the last two and a half years out of my 20 you know 21 year journey in this that's where i've learned the most stretched the most and i think it's been the hardest but probably the most rewarding time of the whole thing awesome thank you um, hypothetically, if Kodiak Cakes ended today, mm-hmm. um, what would you do? I would um, I'd do something in old cars. I love old cars. I've, uh, I've bought and sold well over 100 cars now. And I, I think they are so fun. And so I would do something along. I'd do something in there. I'd either create, like, you know, gear or equipment for old four-wheel drives. Or, or I'd probably put together some sort of restoration shop and, you know, rebuild old Four-wheel drives, Land Rovers, Land Cruisers, stuff like that. I do something there. Cool, that's awesome. cool. Get a TV show after it. Yeah, exactly. Totally, man. Chopper, you man. know it. Yes, <laughs> that would be so awesome. 